Hey, this is Kevin Rowe. God is definitely at work doing something right now. From revivals and awakenings at Asbury, other college campuses, and even around the world, coinciding with the release of the Jesus Revolution film, to even the He Gets Us campaign, there's something going on. At the same time, it's easy to be critical of things and not quite sure what's of God and what's not. In episode nine, Terry Johnston shares about McGregor, Texas, including SpaceX, the McGregor Research Center, and more, as well as some insightful perspectives on the ways that God is moving in this season, and also wrestling with how to critically evaluate things without just being critical. Terry grew up in Perigold, Arkansas, majored in radio and television at Arkansas State, and earned his Master of Divinity from Truett Theological Seminary, where he met around 15 years ago. He served as student and children's minister and then student and senior adult minister at Mount Carmel Baptist Church just outside of Cincinnati from 2000 to 2007, then served as associate pastor and then senior pastor at Trinity Memorial Baptist Church in Marlin from 2007 to 2011, before becoming senior pastor at First Baptist Church McGregor in 2011, which is where he currently serves. Terry is one of the friends I feel confident to reach out to as I'm processing various issues related to faith and ministry, as well as to discuss Baylor athletics. I hope this conversation will be encouraging as you reflect on what God is up to in the season. And with that, let's dive into episode nine with Terry Johnston. Hey, Terry, thank you for being on today. Hey, Kevin, thank you for coming down to visit and uh, let us have this conversation. Love getting the chance to come down here. I know we talked about we could do it on Zoom or whatever, but I'm like, man, a chance to get down to the Waco area and get to hang out in person and go grab lunch afterwards. Wouldn't want to miss it. So you got out of the out of the office. It's kind of nice to get out out in the field a little bit. Yep, definitely so. Well, we have been talking. I mean, we talk frequently, and a lot of it we talk Baylor sports and things like that. But there are Baylor podcasts for anybody that might be interested in that. Um, but I know we had a phone call just a couple weeks ago about some different things that God is doing in the world right now and some other things that people are talking about. And so I'd love for us to, to get a little bit of a chance to talk about those today. Um, real quick, since this is our first time on the podcast, why don't you give it just a little bit of kind of the makeup of your church? And that kind of gives the context that you're coming out of yeah. um, as people hear this. Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah. Um, so I pastored First Baptist McGregor. Uh, I've been here a little over 11 years. Um, we have, uh, uh, like many, uh, let me just back up too and say McGregor, McGregor itself is a town of about 5,000 people, and we are in the Waco orbit. We're about mm -hmm. 15 minutes west of Waco. Um, I've been here, like I said, 11 years. And in my time, but then even before I came to McGregor, the town of McGregor is kind of a town in, tra in transition. We, what, what had once been kind of a standalone town is now, is now connected by a four-lane highway to a, a bigger town in Waco. Mm -hmm. We're about, like I said, about 15 minutes west of the Woodway part of Waco, I guess you'd say. But then we're another 25 minutes from Temple, the other direction, I guess you'd say. So... What used to be a standalone town has become more of a bedroom community. And mm -hmm. so we become more less less people work necessarily in in McGregor than they work in Waco or they work in Temple or they work somewhere else. So mm -hmm. um, they drive into town for for their jobs, wherever it may be. Now, we do have a pretty healthy industrial park here. And I was telling Kevin before, we, we may in a little bit. SpaceX, you may have heard of them. They're one of the, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of one of those funny things that when I first 
I think I've been here maybe a couple of months. I haven't been here very long, maybe even a month. And uh, SpaceX is a, obviously it's a worldwide company, but it's owned by Elon Musk, who's fairly well known. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, we we have out here. So so, golly man, I didn't know you were going to talk about McGregor, but McGregor's history is is that uh, we have a lot of land. Yeah, like that is our. We have a lot of land in our industrial park, and part of that, the reason is, is we have back in the early uh, 1900s, back in the 20th century, um, pre World War well World War II time, um, we have what was uh, an ordinance plan out here, the Blue Bonnet Ordinance Plan, and where the the United States military made all their bombs. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> and so when you make bombs. You have to store bombs, and so you can still today, here in 2023, drive out if you, well, you can't just normally do it, but you can, you can, there's some roads that go around out there, and mm-hmm. you can still see the little, like, um, I don't know what the word is, the little, like, places where they stored the bombs, and they have, like, little hot hills in between them, because the idea was, is if one went off, they didn't want the next one, and the mm-hmm. next one, and the next one yeah. to go off. So we have this huge amount of property out there. After the war was over and the ordinance plant closed, they gave the property to the city of McGregor for an industrial park. And so that's when um, Hercules and Rocket Nine came in and continued to make bombs and bomb parts for war or rocket engines eventually for rocket rockets for missiles and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so around the turn of the the you know, companies would come and go, they'd get bought out and, and such. Um, but what we, what SpaceX, when they came, they found a already set up place with a rocket testing facility that they could start testing rockets. And so as it has grown, we have a rocket testing um, facility in our community. Now, SpaceX is pretty unique in that they are, um, they build their own stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Like what was there when they got there was there, but everything else out there that they've done, they've built out there. So they they build their own warehouse, they build their own test testing facilities and stuff like that, and um, so the rockets are built in California. All the SpaceX rockets are built in California. Then they're all tested here in mm-hmm. McGregor, and then they're launched either in Florida, primarily in Florida right now. But then SpaceX also some some will get launched in California. Mm-hmm. They piggyback off the NASA stuff, but then SpaceX has now bought. A place in South Texas, down in Brownsville area, and they they eventually will will launch there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but McGregor is part of the vital link in the the chain because every rocket gets tested here before it gets sent up, and yeah. so and and we're not you'll hear the big ones because that's what you hear, mm-hmm. but they're also like I, I forget I've done a tour or two out there. One of the tours it was. Like they have like 13 different stations because there's 13 different, like, like there's the rocket that gets it off the ground. Mm-hmm. And then there's the rocket that gets it in space from one place to the other. And then there's the rocket that gets it back over here and the rocket that does all of these sorts of things, these engines that they have to have to do. Yeah. Um, man, I don't know. I, we, you did not ask me about SpaceX, <laughs> but I'm talking about but, SpaceX. Uh, but I think a lot of people would be interested in, I, in making that so. connection. hope so. But, but basically what it means is, is that our, our, our houses shake uh three or four times some of those folks that work out there so there's three that i know a little bit about it there's three levels of jobs out there there's administration there's Mm -hmm. technicians and then there's engineers 
and they work in kind of the the engineers and technicians don't work in a boss employee relationship they work hand in hand so like mm -hmm. the engineers will do the science and do the do all the write-up and say try this and the technicians will do it oh, that won't work and then they turn around and they show it so they work hand in hand so it's, i think at one point the average age out there was like 27 oh, 28 wow. i mean it was young yeah like they hire a lot of aggie engineers they hire mm -hmm. a lot of baylor engineers mm -hmm. i don't know about texas i don't know if they have engineers or not from there but a lot of aggies uh -huh. out there and a lot of baylor um mm -hmm. Um, but it's a younger, but they don't all live in McGregor. A lot of them live in Waco and drive out here. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do have some that live, live yeah. here and work out there. Um, we have another factory out there that's being built right now. A German company, Knopf Insulation is building a $600 million insulation plant that will surface, that will service the insulation needs of the growing Texas. And then even down into Mexico into mm -hmm. that, that corridor. Um, that's a pretty big deal for our community. That we're getting that so we have a big industrial park so there are people there are jobs in mcgregor yeah there's not a lot of houses there's we're getting a lot of newer houses that are getting built out here mm. i think waco's moving this way yeah um, it definitely is in a lot of ways you come out the, the 84 corridor out of waco and you kind of see mcgregor's growth so having said all that i'm pastoring first baptist church which is uh was founded in 1858 mm -hmm. so we're not a spring chicken around here <laughs> um the city of mcgregor so our church traces its history out in the country to Comanche Springs, or yeah, Comanche Springs out in the country, which was a community that eventually dried up as the railroad came to McGregor. They moved to McGregor, mm -hmm. and McGregor was founded in 1883, I believe, and um, the church was here not long after that. Um, you're sitting in the sanctuary. The, I think there has been a church on this campus um, since around the 1890s, wow. I want to say. Not this building. This building was built in 68. Mm -hmm. They moved in it in '69. the The original building sat here too, and they 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 knocked it down. The annex is the annex is older than this part of the building, mm -hmm. but it's not original to the original building. If yeah, that makes any sense. But but on this property, and we're in the residential part of McGregor. We're kind of right center in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, down the street is the high school one way. Down that street is the high school, and then the the elementary and the primary. And then this way is the junior high. So we at three thirty in the afternoon, we are at Grand, Cent Grand Central Station for all the mm -hmm. the school traffic coming out. They yeah. come right to our building here. Um, it's on Sixth Street. Sixth Street is uh, uh, used to be called Silk Stocking Street, from what I gather. Like mm -hmm. all the doctors and the engineers and everybody that worked out at at Rocket Nine and all that all lived yeah on this street. So there's big houses, um, mm -hmm. but it's the older part of town, I guess you'd say. Um, but again, McGregor is a town in transition. So our church has um obviously older older folks but we have some younger folks too mm -hmm. um uh we're uh mcgregor has a lot of churches mm -hmm. there's a lot of i think i think there's like 13 or 14 churches in the this little five thousand person town and yeah there's at least um there's another baptist church that's similar to us and then across the street there's a baptist church but it's an independent fundamentalist king james only baptist church so it's mm -hmm. a little bit different than what yeah. we are too but then you've got First Methodist Church, you've got Zion Lutheran Church, you've mm -hmm. got us, and there's four churches within a uh, about a four-block radius yeah. um, right here in the middle of town. And we work together. I get along with all the other pastors. I think I, I, think I might be the longest-tenured full-time pastor still mm -hmm. in town. Mm -hmm. um, I think I am the longest-tenured full-time pastor, which is kind of strange because that hadn't always been the history of this church. Yeah. Was, the church's pastors came and went a lot. Um that I've stuck around this long is a big deal. Yeah. But does that help uh, answer your question? Yeah, it, it definitely well, gives some good context. We have, um, 
we're, 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 we're not a big church. If everybody came on the same Sunday, we'd have probably 150 people. Yeah. But on a, a regular Sunday, I'm in the 70 to 60 to 80 range. Mm -hmm. um, we're pushing 100. We're over 100 on holidays, usually. Mm -hmm. uh, Mother's Day, Easter, Christmas time. Fellowship. If we're having a fellowship, man, we're going to be packed out. So, yeah. Um, which is pretty good. We Our sanctuary at one time, we, we just remodeled it in 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in the process of doing that when everything shut down anyway and kind of actually helped out. Mm -hmm. But um, we had to remodel it. We used to see it around 300. I think we're probably two, we could probably fit 200 in here now mm -hmm. if we cram everybody in. Um, we had to redo some pew spacing and such to, to do that. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah. But so you're, again, you're planted in a community that is right outside of a, of a good sized city in yeah, Waco. Waco's growing too. It's, mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, I, I was talking, I was at lunch yesterday with some folks and they said they'd heard that McLennan County by like 2050 is supposed to be, you know, like around 300,000. I think right now it's around 250,000. So it yeah. could grow like 50,000 people in the next 20 years or mm -hmm. so. Um, I agree with that. I could see that happening. Yeah. Very easily. Yep. And position for growth. Um, mm -hmm. But again, McGregor is now more like a suburb. Yeah. And so the older population still has it in their mind of when you could, you know, like we got a little grocery store here, but we don't have a, most people go to Waco to do grocery shopping. Yeah. We have a, we have two Dollar Generals and a Family Dollar Dollar Tree. We mm -hmm. are a $3 store town, buddy. Nice. Let me tell you. But you can't buy a pair of shoes in McGregor. There's not a shoe store. You can't, mm. there's not a standalone pharmacy. Brookshire's has a pharmacy. Yeah. But you can't, there's not like a pharmacy that you could go to in McGregor. Mm -hmm. There is uh, about five insurance agencies, but there's not an eye doctor in McGregor. You got to mm. go to Waco for an eye doctor. Yeah. There is a dentist, which is a good thing, but there's not a, you want to buy carpet. You can't buy carpet in McGregor. You got to go to, mm -hmm. got to go to Waco. See what I'm saying? Like yeah. there are certain, you can't buy an appliance. You can't buy a refrigerator in McGregor. You got to go to Waco. You know, all of those things that a standalone town used to have. Yeah like retail-wise or service-wise. Mm -hmm. Some are offered here, but not all. Yeah. Like a town of its size. But at one time or another, have been offered here. There mm -hmm. were multiple pharmacies, and yeah. there were multiple, there were eye doctors, and there were multiple dentists, you mm -hmm. know, and multiple choices for some of these things that small towns have. You don't have that anymore. Yeah. But the only thing multiple you have anymore is is insurance agencies and churches. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sounds about right. Um Interestingly enough, we we used to have a lot more restaurants because a lot of the SpaceX people would come over and eat. But yeah, um, restaurants, the, whatever the market can can support, and COVID really did a number on I a lot bet. of that too. So, but but going back to what I was going to say was from church wise too, and, and then community wise, the one thing that unites the town is still the school. Mm -hmm. The school is kind of the the one thing by which everybody has a vested interest in 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 one way or another. Yeah. And my kids, my kids actually don't go to McGregor. My wife works for uh, midway schools. So they've always gone to school with her. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm very involved in the school and I try to be as involved as possible. And yeah. of course it, in effects, I've got several teachers and a couple of school board members, you know, that are mm -hmm. part of our church. So it's, um, we are very good. The school is great partner, great good, partners good. to us. And mm -hmm. we love the schools and we love everything about it. And they're good schools too. Mm -hmm. Really good people. And that's kind of one of those McGregor things too, that it is a small, it's a three, we're a three AD one school. So mm -hmm. we're, I think the high school is about 425, 450, somewhere along in there, around a hundred kids in a class. Yeah. Um, 
but I guarantee like the coaches at the high school, they know every kid's name and they mm-hmm. know little brother and they know grandma, they know you live with grandma. Yeah. So it's enough maintain that small town identity through the school mm-hmm. that a lot of times uh, maybe it doesn't, the other parts don't have. Yeah. And you've got one school. One school. So you're not split between not, multiple yeah. And, yeah. and things like that too. Yeah, so it's yeah, yeah, easier yeah. to really yes. connect with for the entire community yes. to connect with the one school. Yes. And we're, we're out here. It's the McGregor's kind of the anchor of the Western McLennan County with Crawford mm-hmm. and Oglesby. Those and Moody even to an extent comes in and McGregor is bigger than those towns. So yeah. they come to McGregor for some things that mm-hmm. they don't want to go all the way to Waco or Temple for as yeah. well. So, yeah. Um, especially like Craw- Crawford until Crawford got their, their dollar general, you know, they were over here all the time at, at our, mm-hmm. at ours. They have a dollar general Crawford. Um, and they don't really, I don't know. I don't know if there's a restaurant in Crawford. So mm. a lot of times people you'd see in the restaurants in McGregor are Crawford people. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Um, yeah. So, so McGregor is kind of a fascinating little town. It's kind of a, like it would make a really good study, mm-hmm. <laughs> long-term study about transitions and such, yeah. because we have a lot of folks that have lived their whole life mm-hmm. and generational mm-hmm. who have, um, their granddad started this business and then mm-hmm. their dad ran it and now they run it and, but their children may or may not run it yeah. because their children may, mm-hmm may uh, where we may be kind of in that role right now mm-hmm. um where a lot of our kids who and we're agricultural too it's that i sure i didn't yeah. i didn't mean to i shouldn't have i should mention that too we are a very big agricultural yes. community both farming and ranching um around and that has a significant we oh that, i didn't mention that but we have texas a&m ag farm out here like mm-hmm. texas a&m's biggest ag farm is right out here i think there's I don't know how many thousand acres, 10,000 acres, some, something crazy mm-hmm. ag farm. Like, um, that blows my mind. <laughs> I learned, I learned about these things. Um, like they've been testing out there. Like, f- do you know how much fence you have to have for a 10,000 acre ranch <laughs> and oh, hundreds of thousands of yeah, cattle? Yeah. I mean, crazy. hundreds of thousands, thousands of cattle, thousand head of cattle out there. Yeah. Say. You have to have that fence. So they've been testing. I may have told you this before, but they've been testing like some of these, like, collars mm-hmm. like think like the like your dog collar yeah that you that you run mm-hmm. but instead of like an underground fence or whatever they're attached to like a computer mm-hmm. so let's say you want to move the herd from this pasture over here to another pasture all you got to do is put like the using satellites put boundaries so that it becomes kind of like a Uh shock collar thing to move the herd where you want them to go oh wow so modern cowboys are using (laughs) computers as much as they're out there actually on their horses moving cattle where Mm. they need to be fascinating that is i mean think about how much time you could save and how much uh fence Mm -hmm. materials cost and all that if you put a put put collars on the cattle yeah (laughs) And, and move them from one pasture to the next and where they need to be. <laughs> Blew my mind when I heard about all that. I've done a little bit of somebody, somebody back East somewhere developed that technology. Wow. And so they're, they've been testing. So they test all those sorts of things. And yeah. they test vaccines and they test mm-hmm. feed and they test everything out there. At yeah. the Ag Farm. So we're a big agricultural community. But I was going to say, it was like before 
it would be my granddad was a rancher mm-hmm. and then I went to A&M or my dad went to A&M and he came back and ran the ranch and now I'll go to A&M and run the ranch but my kids are not necessarily doing yeah. that and that's a whole other world because mm-hmm. um, they're they're like there's a family in town that that that's that way the, the oldest is now working at the ranch but it really probably would take the other two to do it too mm-hmm. to, to do the farms and they they're not they're yeah they're doing their own thing so mm-hmm. we'll see but y'all are also getting some transfer in and i imagine again lot. kind mm-hmm. of being that spacex yes. yes yes but also so for instance metro ministry assistant yes uh, this yes. morning and yeah. she was in arlington for she a long was- time and we're talking about all the schools that we know and everything in town there and all that and to find Waco, the Waco area, but to get out of even the busyness of Waco, but have the proximity to a town of that size. McGregor is a great land. Yeah, they place. had they had a connection from um, uh, her husband. They're, they're church members. Her husband, his dad was principal here at McGregor back when they were in school. Oh, okay. And then left there to go be principal in Ennis and moved mm-hmm. to Ennis. And so that's where they met. She's from Ennis, and that's where they met. Mm-hmm. But he remembered McGregor. His, he had an older sister who lived here and everybody mm-hmm. knew his older sister too. And so they knew McGregor. And so when he retired and they were looking for a place, they have, they have grandkids in Troy mm-hmm. and, and then the, of course the daughter up there, McGregor was a great fit for them that they yeah. could get out of the mess of Arlington. And mm-hmm. I like, I like Arlington. I shouldn't say that, yeah. but get out of the hubbub of the, mm-hmm. of the Metroplex area and come down to, to, to this area. Waco was, was, or McGregor was good. Actually, I, I can name off, uh, two others mm-hmm. that I know of that have moved to McGregor because it was like situated midpoint area between mm-hmm. their kids. Yeah. You know, like one of them's family has family, uh, daughter in Round Rock and son in Stephenville. Yeah. So McGregor's kind of halfway in between. One of them had um, our former secretary, her, her one had one son in Burleson and one in Houston. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> looking for houses in between and found this area and, um, McGregor is a, it's a trend transition in a lot of ways. Um, uh, culturally it's transitioning mm-hmm. We're we're, we are a lot more Hispanic, um, culture than we used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, uh, families, um, in the schools, especially are, are, are more, mm-hmm. um, but that's kind of Texas yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think there's a big racial issue or mm-hmm. kind of any kind of, uh, uh, animosity or anything like that. I don't, I don't see it. We, we're pretty homogenous here at first mm-hmm. Baptist. We have a few, um, a few Hispanic family members and such, but mostly we're all Caucasian. We're, mm-hmm. we're a traditional Baptist church in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. yeah. Man, I talked a long time about that. <laughs> so. Quite all right. I love hearing about the community and being able to share about the community as well. So, and again, that's, <laughs> that gives context. I mean, in, Obviously, I mean, from Arkansas, spent time in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. ended up um, at Truett. And so mm-hmm. um, kind of there's other influences as well as you're wrestling with issues. But yeah. a lot of it wrestling, especially as a pastor, you're wrestling with it in the context of what you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. And you also, because of the proximity to Baylor, that adds some different dimensions to things as well. And and again, we, but we've got a lot of mutual friends from... Sure. From the time, because we yeah. uh, we were a couple years apart in when we graduated from Trip, but we had overlap in our time yep. there. So we've got yep. a lot of common friends, and and then a lot of our f- 
friends that were at Truett settle in the area or or different things as well. Or go to work for Baylor. A lot of that's true for Baylor too. Yeah. Um, Good job if you can get it right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Especially for your kids in college. That is for sure. Um, One of the only really good ways to be able to go to (laughs) to be able to go to Baylor (laughs) helps a lot, anyways. um, And it's a great school, but. Um, so some of the things we've been talking about though, recently, we've been talking about obviously revival at Asbury. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. you were mentioning about, um, FM 72 that's going to be Baylor. taking place in a couple weeks at Baylor. Yeah. Um, I'd love in a, in a few minutes, we may transition over kind of the, he gets his campaign. We'd had yeah. some conversation there and, you know, new movie that's out right now, Jesus revolution. And yeah. a lot of these yeah. things seem to all be happening at the same time. So I think it's, mm-hmm. of course, the cynic in me would say, this is perfect marketing season. We're getting ready for Easter. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what the cynic in me would say. Sure. And 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 certainly there is probably some kind of a, a marketing hook to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the um, uh, the hopeful optimist, I guess, in me would, would look and see. Um, but there is a hunger. And there is, yeah. I think, we think we're post... I don't want to say post COVID. I don't like that word. Yeah. Cause I don't know. I think it's, I think, I don't think we're ever going to be post COVID. We're I kind of in a, a new normal, but we're yeah, some yeah. sort of normal. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of like nine 11. You, you lived yeah. in 11. You were, yeah. a, you were a young, young adult, I guess mm-hmm. when, when nine 11 happened, I was too, I was working full time, first full time, real ministry position. And it fundamentally altered everything. Yes. I mean, you can't, you know, I went to I went to Honduras on a mission trip in in um, November of 2011, 2001, November of two thousand one. Mm-hmm. So my passport, mm-hmm. I never had a passport for. I had to get a passport, and it was stamped. It was approved on nine ten two thousand one when I wow. got it in the mail. But all the restrictions that came up with mm-hmm. how you travel and all this, and like like what we used to be able to do. Mm-hmm you know, how that had all changed. You know, we're taking two doctors and four nurses and about 12, 13 people to Honduras with suitcases upon suitcases full of drugs and medicine and such for this mm-hmm. medical mission trip we were going on. You had know, changed it all. Everything changed. Yeah. What, what can you do? What can you do all that? And I think COVID is doing the same thing. COVID has sure. fundamentally altered our, um, I do a Zooms. I do Zooms. I never did Zooms before yeah. COVID, you know, but I do a Zoom every week with, with local pastors. We we talk about different opportunities and things that are going on in our world. And it's brought us closer in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. things that we didn't do pre, pre-COVID because um, it just wasn't in our schedule. It wasn't in our time. One that we didn't like each other. It's just, but we yeah. connect in with, with one another more. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are kind of like me, single staff or single full-time staff pastorate. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe have some part-time or some volunteer people, but um, we're in the orbit of Waco, some a couple of them may be in Waco, but most of us are in the orbit of Waco and, mm-hmm. and similar demographic in our congregations and such. Um, but we talk about that, a lot of those things that we didn't talk about before. Yeah. And part of it is this idea of this hunger, this, you know, I think for a while there was a... Um, I think I think one of the things that COVID did has done is it's just made everybody really reevaluate everything, mm-hmm. whether it's the value of things or um, what's important, what's most important. Mm-hmm. Where do I spend my time? Mm-hmm. Where I spend? I think in churches, we're talking about. I was talking about this. Or I was listening to a podcast. I was talking about this the other day. I was talking about how it 
know, a lot of us picked, a lot of us used COVID to, to uh, I want to say kill, but do away with things that weren't working before. Yeah. We were able now to focus on things that are, that what, or try new things that you mm-hmm. want to try something. It's a perfect opportunity to try it. Yeah. And, and so there are some helpful things I think that have come out of the season. But one of the things is I think that because of the, we didn't know who to trust. We mm-hmm. didn't know what, what to do. And our neighbors were fighting and mm-hmm. our church members were fighting. And I, I don't think I lost anybody on COVID. I'm trying to think about it. <laughs> but I know churches did. And yeah. I know churches, I know there are people that won't go back to church. They'll be watching church online for the rest of their life. Yeah. Or that every time they go out of the house, they're going to wear a mask. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those things. And I, that's what one of the things that happened out of it. But, um, but I think because you didn't know who to trust and there was such, such, um, fervor over it, Mm -hmm. it, it made people really reevaluate and really think about what is most important and all that. And so a lot of that is spiritual hunger and spiritual thing. I don't think, um, I was at a lunch yesterday with, uh, President Livingstone at Baylor. They did a prayer luncheon for FM 72, Mm -hmm. um, FM 72 is uh, Baylor, um, Baylor student-led time. FM 72 stands for Fountain Mall 72 Hours, mm-hmm. where a few years ago, I think it was 2018, 2017, 2018, somewhere along there, through the Baylor BSM and some of the, the, the ministries there, they set up a prayer tent on the Fountain Mall for, mm-hmm. for 72 hours to just offer prayer to any Baylor student that would like to come. And it's grown each year. Now there's a bunch of tents and a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. And then now they they do three nights of worship at McLean Stadium, and so mm-hmm. it's grown from just Fountain Mall prayer to a kind of a revival, but it, or an annual event. And, yeah. and we talk about revival, yeah. like what role do we play in the planning of it, or what role do we play in the the stewardship of it? Yeah, good word. Um, and so, can you plan a revival? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if you can plan a revival. And I think that's where a lot of critics come at yeah. some of these things. Um, like with the Asbury thing, I think there was obvious question. Um, I was listening to a podcast last week. They, they called it the, 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 they were talking about how they had to shut the Asbury revival down because it had basically overwhelmed mm-hmm. Asbury's about the size of McGregor, you know, I guess around 5,000 people in the college there about 12, 1800 students and then yeah. seminary there. But they had over 20,000 people trying to get to Asbury yeah. to be a part of it. And they called it um, uh, revival tourism is what they mm-hmm. called it. And I thought that's a neat phrase to use because what is it about something like that that makes you want to, mm-hmm. I have to see it for myself. I have to experience it for myself. And I have friends that I've seen online that yeah. social media that said that they they felt that they needed to go and they went and they were a part of it. And then they came back and they kind of talked about a little bit of what they experienced and um, uh, it was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but do we, do we in Waco, do we in the Waco area, do I feel like that our college student, Baylor, um, Baylor is a big university, as mm-hmm. most people know, probably around, I don't know how many students they got now, 18,000 or so, 16,000 undergrads, another yeah. couple thousand graduate students. For a private school, for a private Christian school, that's huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. I mean, most private Christian schools are in the thousand to five thousand range. Yeah. Like even big, even at most five thousand students. What is DBU now? What are they? 
they're in the 5,000 student range. I that wouldn't surprise probably. me. But I know like, for instance, say Laterno. Laterno, okay. Um, went and visited there. I know several people have gone there. We took Caleb out to tour one time, our, our oldest. And and I mean, it, it's a great campus that's there, but it was like, I know some high schools that are the size of this campus. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I mean, Baylor, point. in many ways, Baylor, Baylor's a whole other world from Christian, the, the average Christian college or Christian university. Yeah. Because it is so much bigger. I think the only ones around the same size would be like Notre Dame and mm -hmm. BYU and Boston College and some of these really big private schools. That are almost flagships of denominations Correct. or, or Correct. faiths or, yeah. Correct. Liberty, I think, is a big school too. You know, thinking of all those those campuses. But but less, you know, here in Texas, we're, we're you know, Baylor's one of the, the Texas Baptist schools. So like, Mary Harden Baylor in is in Belton, which is about thirty minutes from here, and we have a lot of kids that go to Belton, go to mm. go to Maribel. I don't think they're that. I think they're at the four or five thousand students. Yeah, they're not in the 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 sixteen to eighteen thousand like Baylor's. So in many ways, Baylor operates more like a state school mm -hmm. that has chapel <laughs> in in a lot of ways. Um, sure, I don't think, and I'm not trying to be critical of Baylor. I, mean, mm. I, I hope that doesn't come across as that way, but. I don't think you could go to Baylor without knowing that it's some sort of Christian university. Sure. I mean, you would think that. Yeah. You would think you would, if you plan to go to, go to school there, you would know that it is a Christian university. Yeah. But, but having said that, are, is there a lot of need and a lot of, as we would say, you know, in the, my world, our world, we would say lostness. Mm -hmm. Are there a lot of lost people at Baylor? I think absolutely. I think, and I don't think they want to necessarily just be a yeah. school for all yeah. Christians. I think, but I think that that part of it is, is that and that's the culture that's going to be there. Yeah, and you should probably expect it. But then I also know that Christian schools are not perfect, and yeah. they're not what the they're not summer camp mm -hmm. type places. They still deal with the same mm -hmm. um, issues that state schools would deal with. They deal with with alcohol. They deal yeah. with drugs. They deal with. Um, the pressure of uh, sexual immorality and the pressure mm -hmm. of of those sorts of things, just as much as um, a, an A and M or a Texas or a Tarleton or a UTA yeah. or a North Texas or any of those schools would deal with. If mm -hmm. you, if it, if it's a problem there, it's a problem at Baylor yeah. too. And I don't know if it. And again, my my experience at Baylor as an undergrad was ninety four to ninety eight, as opposed to when I was back for seminary in 06 to 08. But my my involvement with Baylor directly at that point was much more peripheral, but as a student, there were times where I was like, you know, it may be just as hard to live out an authentic faith at Baylor as it would be at another school, because at those other schools, if you're living it out, like you're committed to it. Correct. But at Baylor, it's like, oh, well, that's just the expected thing. And I remember, well, Sunday morning, get up, go to a church, work at a church. Most of the time I was in, in college. Um, and I would come back and there would be guys that I knew had not gone to church that morning who had gotten up dressed like they had gone to church and went to the cafeteria because, well, I don't want to look like I didn't go to church. Right. I imagine that's right. changed over 20 plus years now. I don't want to think about how long it's actually been. But but still that there's some aspect of that. But like you say, just because Baylor, yeah, whether you want to call it a Christian university or say there's a lot of Christian influence for sure, and it's certainly tied to Texas Baptists and, sure. and all of those things, sure. but that doesn't automatically make it 
you know, yeah. and certainly it doesn't make every student that goes there a Christ a follower right. um, or someone who's not wrestling through whatever with faith and, and all those things. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think you're, I think that's what I was trying to, that's what I think you said better what I was trying to say. I, I am under no, you know, any kind of misgivings that, that Baylor is a, that every student on campus is a Christian. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, wouldn't say that, but I think it would be hard to go to Baylor without knowing that it, that's part of Baylor. Sure. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, I, I guess maybe if you're coming from internationally, you might not know that, but you mm -hmm. probably would. Mm -hmm. um, you, it's probably something I would want to know before I went on campus, but that's just me. Yeah. But, um, but having said all that, I think that that, like the FM 72 and the, these, um, these, these sorts of revival type atmospheres, I think that that's a symptom. I think it's, I think there's this, there's a hunger out there in our culture for something different. And I think it happens every so often. Um, and I think we can, we can talk about COVID. I, I went to a state school. I went to Arkansas state, mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier. And I, I was real involved in our, our Baptist student union at the time. Now it's, um, I think they're BCMs in Arkansas, they're BSMs in Texas. But, mm -hmm. um, and that was my, my Christian connection was through the BSU, through the, through, through the student ministries. And that's where I felt my call to ministry. It's a, in fact, I'm, I can name probably five or six people that I went to college with that are all in full-time ministry mm -hmm. um, from, from um, you know, denominational representatives to pastors, to missionaries, to, to just every role you can think of. Best friend from, from college. He's, he's been a youth pastor at a church now for going on 20, I think it's probably his 24th year, 20, 23rd, 24th year. He's wow. at the same church, small church, kind of like, kind of like ours, maybe, maybe a little bigger than ours, but mm -hmm. um, in Arkansas. But um where I was going with that is, is that you can see these trends, you can see these sorts of things, and um, there there does seem to be a desire, mm -hmm. a spiritual desire, and I think that's kind of a hallmark of this this coming generation. And I, and who knows what COVID did to these kids too? Sure, because that's what I was going to say was Livingstone. We were having that that prayer break or that prayer luncheon yesterday, and she was talking about how they've they have some data now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that finished, so they they traced the incoming freshmen of 2018 to the graduated in 2022, mm -hmm. and the idea was like they they from their faith, excuse me, faith commitment standpoint, how much you know has their prayer life changed? How much has their daily scripture or or engagement with those like they they did like an entry mm -hmm. entry uh, survey and an exit survey, and so they've got these four years. But they have COVID in the middle of that, mm -hmm. which completely that don't know what to do with that data. With whenever you look at COVID, but what it is showing is is that not only at Baylor but otherwise there does seem to be a trend toward um, an increased desire for for faith or or a faith based mm -hmm. something, and that's then now the generation that's hitting the workforce. Yeah, and what we would call in your world and my world the future of the church, the future leaders of our church. Mm -hmm. um, Baylor's a unique animal because there are some big churches in in, in the Waco area with successful college ministries. Mm -hmm. um, I had that to an extent when I went to college twenty year, twenty five years ago too, um, where there were some big churches that catered, did a lot for college students and college students flock. They mm -hmm. kind of go where things happen. Yeah, um, which is okay. I get that. Mm -hmm. I mean. The, the, the idea is is that we would want um, I would really want them as they move to that next level 
to get plugged into a local church yeah. and become involved in it, not just peripherally, but mm-hmm. from a leadership standpoint. Yeah. And I think that's our challenge. I think yeah. your challenge and my challenge is, is mm-hmm. to help us. And it's a challenge for my church too. And um, we have an intern this semester. I mentioned that. I don't, think, mm. I don't think I've talked about that yet, but we have a, um, one of the things Baylor does well, the Department of Religion does the ministry guidance program where they mm-hmm. have um, students can, who are, if you're a religion major or minor, you can take this intro to ministry course. And part of that is you're required to do five hours a week doing field ministry, field, field mm-hmm. work. So since I've been here, I've been a ministry guidance supervisor. It's a great gig. Because I get, um, they don't pay us with money. Baylor tickets. That's right. <laughs> they give us two season tickets to football and an ID that gets us into all the other Baylor sporting events. Yes. Gets us a discount at the bookstore. Um, what else does it do? It uh, that may be it. Oh, I did hear that you can get um, uh, the the meal the meal discount at Penland too. So one of these things oh, wow. I can get for at Penland for like three dollars or whatever it is. Yeah, I've just never gone over there and tried it, but. Uh, need to try it i guess that may be one of the things that i miss the most about being able to minister in the waco area well it is <laughs> it's a, not being it's able to huge... do that and get the baylor tickets yeah i have a friend he was he he was in the program with me and he's since moved to fort worth pastors of church in fort worth and he says he still gets all the emails and they, he's like i really am kind of outside of their zone but i really want to still do it so that mm-hmm. i can still be a part of all the perks that you get out of it yeah but anyway i have a student and he is a sophomore at baylor he's 20 comes from the Houston area. And um, so we just meet in the last probably three, four weeks, I guess. Was, I was telling somebody yesterday, it seems like the semester just started, but yet spring breaks next week mm-hmm. and then it'll be Easter and then it'll be done. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just how it goes. And, uh, but it feels like we just got started because, um, but he's, he's starting to get involved a little more with the worship time and then with our, our teenagers, he's helping out with that. But just getting to know him mm-hmm. and I'm feeling, I sent, I don't know if, know if it's just him or if it's symptomatic of the the student body that's there yeah but he is definitely um different than the the interns i've had in the past mm-hmm. um because he does have a a hunger he does have a an eagerness mm-hmm. to learn but then also to experience i think that's probably the 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 hallmark of this generation is the experience aspect that one of the podcasts i was listening to yesterday i listened to a lot of podcasts so i'm gonna have to listen to to you but (laughs) um but it was talking about one of the things that this generation isn't spend saving as much money Mm -hmm. you know your boomers are like save you know half your check or whatever like that and then you and i are generation x so we're we're kind of a we're weird anyway, generation yeah. X is, but then even the millennials and now generation uh, Z or whatever it is, that's hitting the, hitting the, the thing now, they're not big savers, mm-hmm. um, but they're big experience. Mm-hmm. Um, they're big on experience. They're big on um, living in the moment and being a part of the moment. And then it's almost like they're collectors of experiences. It's a good word. Good phrase. Um, My kids definitely. I have a, a sixteen-year-old and a fourteen-year-old. Your your kids are similar in age as mine. Yeah. And um, but they're they have they have. I don't know that they know it, but they have experienced far more cool experiences than I ever did by the time I was sixteen or fourteen. Maybe you're you're in the same way. Like yeah, like not just vacations. Vacations are fun, but just opportunities. Mm-hmm that 
I never had. Um, and I think that's a hallmark of this. And, and, and I hope that they are, um, my kids especially, I hope that they are remembering and, and mm -hmm. collecting these experiences, not just as like a, some sort of emotional or sentimental scrapbook type thing. But I mean, mm -hmm. that'll be a part of it. It'll be a part of it. I have great memories of my family and my, yeah. my upbringing and such um, with great experiences too but more mundane maybe compared to what kids today are collecting. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's a, that, that, that is part of that hunger. I went off on a tangent there a little bit. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you were talking about the, the, the Asbury, the FM 72, and then even, um, uh, we talked a little bit about the, he gets us campaign too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's easy to be cynical mm -hmm. and guess, try to guess motives of everything. Yeah. Um, and probably across the board, that's true, but also, and we were talking beforehand, when you've gone to seminary, you get trained to, you know, you're evaluating sermons and you're the form of it and everything. So, and, and I'm stealing your line here cause you brought it up, but it's true. You're sitting in a sermon and it's easy to shift into evaluation mode rather than, Hey, let me just receive what God is saying through yes. this sermon. Yeah. Um, and so certainly things like this, yeah. to look at them from a critical eye or to question the motives or, yeah. I mean, it, one thing we talked about with the He Gets Us is it has gotten attacked from both sides. And I say both sides, it's probably more than just both sides, it, from multiple angles where, oh, well, it's pushing this agenda or, yeah. oh, well, look at the people behind it. Yeah. Or, oh, well, they're just trying to, you know, get people into evangelical churches or whatever. And again, it's kind of getting hit from a lot of places, which to me kind of makes me wonder if they hit the right spot <laughs> that the yeah. fact that they're getting all of that rather than <laughs> not getting it or something. So, yeah, it's, I think what we, I mean, it's about seminary, but I think it's just, I think it's also typical of culture today is mm -hmm. that we are very hypercritical of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and we run it through the filters that we have, mm -hmm. whether they be for, for you and I who are seminary trained pastors, whether it be theological lenses or scripture, you know, interpretational mm -hmm. lenses, or did they get that passage right? You know, <laughs> that's 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 my biggie. It's like it's like I love Philippians four thirteen. It's a great wall verse. You see it on everybody's wall. Yeah. But know it in context. Yeah. And so like, yeah, oh, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Yes, but are you going to be flogged like Paul? Are you going to really, are, are, are you, is your challenge really that hard compared to what Paul's really using that in context with yeah. Philippians? But, but my, so that's, that's my, crit, my mm -hmm. hypercritical nature takes over when I'm reading a sermon or listening to a sermon or hearing a lecture or any of those sorts of things. I'm, I'm constantly, and Jesus told us, told us to do that though. He told us to be discerning and try. Yeah, like I think there's a fine line between being discerning and being critical. Like, sure. Like I had to learn that in seminary. The word critical is not necessarily a bad word. Mm -hmm. The word critical is I'm breaking things down and trying to understand it and now analyzing it and trying to evaluate it mm -hmm. to determine whether or not what I'm hearing and reading makes sense. That's, that's, that's what to be critical means. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but 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 if I'm passing judgment on it and saying yeah it's a terrible sermon or that's a I would never preach that passage that way or yeah that's what we do yeah I, that's what I do unintentionally I don't know about you but that's what I do unintentionally when I hear a sermon I'm like ooh, ooh um 
but but then when it comes to everything yeah and i think it bleeds over into kind of our world we we just live in a cynical world in a lot of ways where people are constantly okay what's the catch mhm um so with everything mhm rather than trust rather than is this a movement of the holy spirit yeah so so i guess there's that fine line that you have to say as i said how much is me and how much is the spirit how much is me and how much is the mm-hmm. spirit, and so that's where I think we need to come down. The maybe the critical thing, um, maybe that needs to be the the question: how much of how much of my hang up about a million dollar ad during the Super Bowl mm-hmm. is me, and how much of it is there are millions upon millions of people who are watching a a thirty second ad where the gospel is shared in a in a non-threatening way. Yeah. Um, regardless of the money behind it. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the critiques I saw was, sure. Why don't yeah. you feed the, feed the homeless or, you know, do all this with the money. And that's the, what about, yeah, you could always want about it to death. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we, I think we, we lose sight of the good that can be done when we start saying what, what else good could be done. Yeah, that's true. And so, you know, and we had talked about, I, th- I think we'd had this conversation, our church, our first few weeks of the year, our message series was four. Mm-hmm. And we were constantly going back to that. The church is far often, far too often known more for what we're against than what we're for. And we want people to know that we're for them because we want them to know that God is for them. Yeah. And that's why when I'm seeing these commercials from He Gets Us, I'm like, that's kind of the message we're trying to get out yeah. is, is yeah. like this positive understanding of Jesus. And, and the reality is most studies that you look at or anything you look into, people, especially the more they hear what Jesus actually said and what Jesus actually did, yep. far few, fewer people have problems with Jesus than they do with quote unquote, you know, Christianity or the church or whatever, because a lot of times we make it something that is not what he really made it to be. Correct. And and it was like, this is at least a positive nudge in the right direction for people. (laughs) Yeah. um, If I were being preachy, I'd say it's a seed that's being planted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, did you have Dr. Glower? Uh, In uh, the imaginative reading for creative creative preaching deals i had him for scriptures three and i also had him for the um uh, text of communication the preaching mm-hmm. preaching three basically yeah um and and that one was we did the parables mm. uh, that was our semester was parables and one of his parables one of the parables was the parable of Sower. and i think it was dr glower it may have been somebody else if it's not dr glower shout out dr glower love dr yes glower. i did um, too. but it, somebody basically said the parable of the sower is basically a mini archetype of how you read gospel presentation and how you read evangelism, what mm. evangelism is. Mm-hmm. And the idea is I'm going to tell some things, mm-hmm. I'm going to say some good things, and they're all going to be good, mm-hmm. And but how you receive them is up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the job is always the parable of the sower is, is the sower is sowing. Yeah. And and where where then is our role? Our role as preachers, as pastors, as whatever, as ministers, as Christians, as followers, disciples of Jesus, is to be sowing seeds. That's, yeah, that's the that's the goal. And I was reading last week, a couple weeks ago, I was talking about. I went to the Texas Baptist um, 
evangelism conference mm-hmm. in San Antonio, and one of the pastors, one of the, one of the ministers, was talking about the Great Commission. And I read, you know, I heard the Great Commission all my life, Matthew twenty nineteen twenty. You know, mm-hmm. go you therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son. Um, uh, but he, the emphasis in his message was, I think we've re, we really have to reevaluate what we believe about evangelism itself. Mm-hmm. And is, is evangelism what Baptists, Southern Baptists, I'll be, I'll pick on my tribe, my, my, my tribe of, of origin, mm-hmm. Southern Baptists emphasis over the, over 50 years of church growth mm-hmm. versus discipleship, disciple, disciple making. Yeah. Um, get them in, get them dunked, then we'll figure out if we can disciple. Mm. I think we did pretty well with that for a while, but I think the last 30 years has been horrible mm-hmm. in discipleship mm-hmm. in Baptist world. That's just my my opinion. Yeah. I think we we tried to formulaic it, form, make it formulaic, and uh, yeah, we just get them in a Sunday school class, and that's enough, that's all they need. Or You just run Flake's formula, and it automatically happens. Yes, yeah. yes, instead of actually making disciples. But that, that, that sermon that day was talking about the, the command in Great Missions to make disciples as you go, baptize them and teach them. Yeah. That's, that's what evangelism is, is making disciples. And so planting seeds mm-hmm. with a 30-second ad in the Super Bowl or whatever it is, is, is planting a seed. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's, it's not evangelism, but mm-hmm. it's a part of evangelism. Yeah. I mean, it has to be. So it could be a starting point for someone. Like, oh, I never thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. You know? So the, the hard part, and I think this is where the, some of the pushback got is, is if you go to the, the website that the, he gets us mm-hmm. wants to, like they really want to take your information, like you can put your information in. It's basically mm-hmm. a, it's basically not a huge difference from what you would do at a Billy Graham comp, Billy Graham crusade. Mm-hmm. I, I, 2001, two, 2001, 2002, I was in Cincinnati and Billy Graham came to town. Um, it was after 2001, it had to be 2002 mm-hmm. because it was after 9-11 because it didn't call it a crusade anymore. Mm. <laughs> it was called yeah. a mission. Yeah. <laughs> Words, uh, words, yeah, in context. <laughs> um, but it was the Billy Graham Evangelistic Crusade was the the thing. But it was a mission. Mm-hmm. And we packed out Paul Paul Brown Stadium. I got asked to be. I was a. I was one of the one of the only. Um, I forget who the chairperson was. One of the pastors from from Northern Kentucky at a Baptist church. But somehow they were putting together a um, youth committee, mm-hmm. and I got put on the youth committee because I was a full time youth pastor at a Baptist church in suburban Cincinnati. So I was on the youth committee with all these other primarily evangelical. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody that knew and loved Billy Graham was involved in this, but it's, prim- I mean, it was primarily Baptist, but it was across the board. Sure. Uh, non-denominational. But, um, you know, we packed in 65,000 people four nights, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, I went three of the four nights down there. Of course, I was a pastor, so I wanted it, but fill out a card. And like that, they made a big deal about that. The big part is, is that getting people there, but then it's the after, how do you follow yeah. up? If they fill a card up, how do you fill up? How do you follow up? Mm-hmm. So they did it based on zip code or, or neighborhood because mm-hmm. kind of like greater Dallas, you know, greater Cincinnati is a big place with a lot of zip codes and a lot of different schools and a lot of different neighborhoods and such like that. So how do you mm-hmm. connect someone that walked, walked down at Billy Graham and confess Christ to, 
a church in Blue Ash or a church in mm. Montgomery or wherever it was you live. So churches had to become um, designated partners, I guess, with it to receive all these. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'm, I imagine, I don't know, I don't really remember if, I don't think we got any, any of those was 65,000 times four. I don't know how many people walked the aisle every night. Mm-hmm. Thousands usually. Did they get connected to our church? I don't think they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so were those seeds wasted? No, they weren't wasted. But it's just in modern um, parlance, yeah. scanning a QR code on an ad mm-hmm. is filling a card out at Billy Graham. Yeah. And then how do I connect? And I think that's where a lot of the the hesitancy came from. It's like we're only going to connect these people with churches that are of a certain bent. Mm-hmm. Especially on maybe on the left, more left end, the the, the cynical end of, mm-hmm. uh, okay, they're going to fill this card out or they're going to fill this thing out online and then we're going to connect them with a very conservative church. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen a lot of the pushback on the other side mm-hmm. um, other than maybe it's too open. And, I, and I've seen a little bit of that, of yeah. maybe that or like, like we're going to connect them, but we're going to connect them to uh, that church might believe this and we don't want them connecting to that. Yeah. What's interesting though is watching it and again, I feel like Jesus, usually if we're following him, we're probably kind of, again, going to get right. hit from all sides on right. it, which right. might mean we're in a good place. Might mean we're in a really bad place, but it also might mean we're in a really good place. Right. Um, I think some of it was some of the messaging yeah. felt like it had a little bit of what you would typically call a left bet to it because okay. it was a little bit more of a... And again, it wasn't social justice, but some of the things it was talking about a lot of times kind of gets lumped in the, oh, that's social justice, which is a left thing. Um, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I heard a little bit of pushback. And I think, like you said, pushback was probably more a little bit from left and probably because of some of the people that were involved in funding it, which a lot of that was somewhat anonymous, but some of those were becoming known. But from the other side, I kind of, that's where I heard a little bit of the pushback maybe on on that side, which again is always it's, interesting if you're using Jesus words and all that, and then you're hitting. <laughs> well, my, my first thought was, and I think I told you this, my first thought was the whole, um, the, the episode in, in scripture where the disciples have just had this, this mm-hmm. thing, this time. And then they came to come to Jesus and said, we saw people baptized in your name and we told them to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus said, if they're not, against us then they're for us you know it's kind of one of those things why do you tell them to stop and i think the idea and that's a kind of a strange passage anyway yeah but i think the idea was this is jesus not just necessarily giving authority to these people to do it but jesus saying you're you're mad about the wrong thing yeah you you can't we can't expect to always have ownership of the gospel Mm -hmm. in the way that we expect it to work yeah and that's not what the spirit does Mm -hmm. um and I think I think that's probably a challenge for us, especially the older we get and the uh, however denominationally loyal we are, mm-hmm. or or whatever. To you know, I think I think the older we get, the less we resist, the more we resist the spirit because we don't like change. Or at least, let's say, the easier it is yeah. to have a tendency to resist. Yeah, I, I know some that are older who are 
very much open to it. Completely. But, but I yeah. think it's yeah. easy to kind of settle in, especially like, I don't want to rock the boat. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I have theories on that. My, yeah, I worked with youth and senior adults. Mm -hmm. And my theory is youth and senior adult are a lot alike. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things they both hate is change. Mm -hmm. Youth don't like change. Senior adults don't like change. And the reason they don't like them is because they're going through more changes. Yeah, well, true. Youth are not, mm -hmm. they're, they're, every day is a day of change for them. And senior adults are, they're giving up and they're having, they're changing in ways that they don't like it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the reasons why they hate. I think the more change you're going through, the more you hate change. That makes sense. Culturally, mm -hmm. you know, physically, emotionally, everything about it. Because mm -hmm. you can't explain it. Because yeah. when, 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 when you're going through all these changes and you, things that used to work the way they work don't work anymore or they things that you don't understand or why they're working this way. Yeah. Makes a big difference. And mm -hmm. so I think that, that, that heightens the anxiety around a lot of the, I don't know what, I don't know who, who are we going to get in these churches and all this and mm -hmm. how can we do this? And, but then also, as you said, the other side of it is oh, these people believe this. And so they must be awful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we've kind of passed that. I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the, Again, one of the hallmarks of our the cynicism of our society and the world we're in is that it's just this second guessing and distrust of everybody and everybody's motives. Yeah, the only person I, whose motives I know are correct are mine. Right. But everybody else, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is idolatry, and that's yeah. a whole other world. Good that's a whole other. Uh, there, there's a reason God only gave us ten commandments because every one of the things that we deal with can go back to those in some <laughs> sort of way. Yeah. Um, idolatry, having other gods, mm -hmm. building graven images, you know, all of these sorts of things that, you know, that we deal with, mm -hmm. not Sabbathing, mm -hmm. not honoring parents. Mm -hmm. And then all the ways, mm -hmm. the rest of the, all the ways, the stealing, the killing, the adultery, the bearing false witness, all of those things mm -hmm. are inherent to our worst nature. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to go 10 commandments no, there, but that's all right. I was just listening to some Deuteronomy on the way down, though, and um, <laughs> Good. I'm doing the I'm doing the chronological version of the through the year in the Bible, and oh. it just crossed the passage of if you have a a child who's hard to hard to control and um, you know and ornery and all that, take them to the corner. I mean, take them out to the you know the door of your house and stone them. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad there's a little more context to it than that. We don't do that today because I don't know how many of us would still be around and. <laughs> But I have two teenage daughters. Yeah. So mm -hmm. um, the Lord is good. Yes. Yes. And the Lord, Lord is, is very graceful. Yes. Way, way more gracious than I am. Times. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, but what's interesting in the context we're talking about, he gets us when you reference the, if I'm not controlling it or it like in all this, that goes right back to the revival conversation. It does. We're having was, well, but they didn't run it through my channel or yeah. I haven't had a chance to speak in and approve it or whatever. And Correct. so part of the critical, and I think for me personally, I probably have a tendency to be more critical of something I'm close to completely than yeah. something yeah. I'm further away from, because I, at least on, on Asbury, if I was inclined to have reservation or whatever about it, I'm like, yeah. I'm not close enough to really know. Whereas I might see something up front or like being a, in a, in a, you know, I've been in some services in various places or whatever. I'm like, something just doesn't sit right. And so whether that's the right approach or whatever, but it, it, at least for me, it's more like if I'm close, I, and, and especially it, 
like you mentioned this earlier too, like I feel more comfortable speaking to my tribe. Correct. Those I have most closely affiliated with, those I've got the most relationship with, or what I've come out of that being able to speak prophetically for lack of a better word or whatever there. And, um, but I'm more comfortable doing it there than groups that I'm like, I really don't know that I know enough to speak in here. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's a good question. Who is my tribe? Yeah. And my tribe changes. And I thought, I I thought I knew my tribe and now my tribe is going in a different direction than what I used to be in. And Mm -hmm. I didn't change, Mm -hmm. but you know, and I think there's multiple, all kinds of ways that, that, that affects whether yeah. it's, you know, what, who, who are the influence, who's influencing us and who's, mm-hmm. who, who is, and I think that's the questions people ask about that, that where's the money behind these ads? What's, mm-hmm. what's the motivation behind yeah. it? Is it to funnel people to this cause or to this particular political bent or this mm-hmm. particular, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just naive. Maybe I'm just too hopeful that the Spirit can... You know, one of my favorite roles of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, is, is that it, it hopefully, most mm-hmm. people... Like, finding that, that being as innocent as doves and as true to serpents yeah. that Jesus talks about is, what it, does it pass the smell test or does it not? Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, I, I trust the Spirit and can help me with that. But I, I don't want to be so naive that I always get taken advantage of either. And yet Jesus, you wouldn't call him naive, would you? <laughs> and the way he lived his life mm-hmm. with grace, mm-hmm. a grace-filled, hopeful mm-hmm. optimism that people would, you know, I get, ah, of course he's Jesus. It's hard to, hard to compare yourself <laughs> to him. But, but he, could, he, could, he could meet the woman at the well. Yes, and go through and call her out on pretty much everything she's going through, mm-hmm. but not condemn her. Yeah. Like, how do we do that? Mm-hmm. How do we do that with, with our neighbors? How do we do that with people, especially within our tribe or with outside, outside our tribe? Maybe it'd be easier outside our tribe. To, mm-hmm. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe we're more critical of the people outside our tribe because we can say, well, see, that, of course they believe that way. Of course that's the way they act. Mm. As opposed to, mm, I don't know, it's pretty... It's pretty home. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the word prophetic. Um, no, I'm, I, I've reevaluated that word too. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people who want to be prophetic mm-hmm. and consider themselves prophetic mm-hmm. when really they're just jerks. Yeah. And there's a fine line between, between I, I say this all the time, between being prophetic and being a jerk. Yeah. And, I don't know what the, you'll know when you crossed it, but at the same time, I don't know how the, how you balance that out Yeah. to do it in a way where I can, I can speak prophetically about my tribe or I can say this about my, you know, it's like, you can't say that about him, but I can, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that's my brother you're talking about, you know, or something like that. It's like, yeah, you can't pick on my brother, but I, I get to pick on him. Yeah. Like we beat each other up, but don't mess with us. That's right. That's right. Don't mess with him. I, I'm the only one that gets to beat him up. Um, but at the same time, there's that we do need the prophetic word and we do need that, that holy uncomfortableness that comes from, are we in step with the spirit Yeah. and are we, you know, but then also I, I think 
I think some people then go to the extreme and they throw everything out. Yeah. And they say, you know, um, I don't care what you did 20 years ago. I don't care how you've been for centuries. Mm -hmm. This is the new way everything is going and this is the way you must be. And that's because this is where the spirit's moving. Well, was he not moving then? Was he mm -hmm. not moving through this and through this and through this? Mm -hmm. So I think there's there's both both ends of it. Or you can be too much in the spirit, I guess, without grounding into your tradition and grounding into the things that you can hold on to. Yeah, the evidences. Does that make sense? It does. And I and maybe it's you can push back on that if you want to. I don't. Well, and I, tension is a big word for me. And I think that too often we push for resolution one Correct. way or the other. And sometimes we need to be in a spot of tension. Yeah. And because again, there are far too many things that have happened, even in our lifetimes, where we took them at face value, we gave them the benefit of the doubt, and some horrible things we got, happened. We got burned or they got yeah. somebody got burned. Somebody got hurt. Somebody got burned, somebody got hurt. And so it's okay. Well, you can't just do that. No. But then if you go to the other end where it's complete, you know, there's always got to be an ulterior motive that's going on here. It never can be out of pure heart and pure motive. It never can just be that the spirit is working and moving Correct. this. Correct. And, and again, to find somewhere in that spot. The and balance, I think, the tension. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that is where it's trying to trust the spirit and be in a position to allow the spirit to stir in our heart one way or the other and nudge us as we're living in the tension one way or the other, yeah. depending on the situation we're in. Yeah. I think it's, e and I think it's easier to trust the spirit in some things than it is in other things. Too. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I'll trust the spirit with um, who we're going to get to do this leadership position in the church mm -hmm. versus I'll trust the spirit versus what I, what I'll, what I'm going to do if I'm feeling called to go to another church or something like that. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know about that yeah. or, or that position. So there's those, the, the roles of those, mm -hmm. of, of the, when to trust the spirit, when not to, yeah. when, when to hold on to that tradition. I, I just get, I don't know. I just get frustrated. I mean, my own people make me frustrated. Not, not my church. I love my yeah. church. But, well, they, they get me frustrated too. But the, but the, but just frustrated between the, you know, that's where we are kind of in the world mm -hmm. these days. It's, that this we don't know what to trust and what who we can follow in all this and mm -hmm. um i think we're i think our generation i think generation x is a part of that too i think yeah we've noticed that if you, you read any of that stuff like the the boomers and the millennials seem to fight a whole lot <laughs> and the generation x just kind of sit off to the side doing our own thing <laughs> we sit it out because that's all we've ever done is just sit out mm. we've we're, now we're quiet. We work. We we don't make a big deal out of ourselves. Did you, did you see the? Did you see it that there may not even be a Generation X president? I guess that's true. Because I guess Obama was a was a, a an older boomer. I guess. But, or he was on the young end. Uh, or oh, Generation X. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But there may not be mm. a Generation X president because. Mm. Uh, that's because the the boomers are aging and the millennials are taking the focus. Yeah. So there's a good chance that there won't even be a hmm. because that's just kind of the way we are because we didn't really do a lot of leadership. We weren't we were followers. Mm -hmm. It weren't that we wasn't that we weren't we weren't innovators or we weren't mm -hmm. those sorts of people. It's just we didn't make a big deal about it. I mean, think about our culture. I mean, we 
Yeah. You know, I, I do a little reading, a little thinking about it and all that. Mm-hmm. But we, we're not, leadership isn't a big thing for us. Plus, we're, we're, we're not big on, and we're big on experience, but not as much as, the, as we talked about the, the millennials mm-hmm. and all that. But we're also not big on, um, we're used to change, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. We're more used to change than, than generations because we've, we've always been in a, in a sense of anxiety mm-hmm. or crisis. Our, our, our thermostats have been turned up our whole lives. <laughs> We, we grew up in the shadow of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. The millennials didn't. They didn't have mm-hmm. to worry about Russia bombing. They didn't do, they didn't do drills in school Yeah, the Cold War drills. Hide under the desk. Hide under the desk. They didn't grow up without the internet, mm-hmm. without a computer in their pocket. They didn't grow up, you know, we were the first generation that grew up really with two parents that worked outside the home. So mm-hmm. we were the first ones who kind of let ourselves in to, you know, we were latchkey kids. Latchkey latch yep. kids. But we also had to make dinner on our own. Mm-hmm. We're the first generation that our parents got a lot of more. The divorce rate exceeded mm-hmm. the exceeded the um, success no, rate. Success rate, mm-hmm. you might want to say. So, so we've a lot of single parent homes, a lot of a lot of broken families, broken homes. We've just we've adapted well, mm-hmm. and we didn't necessarily have to lead. We just kind of went along with it. And I'm, I know I'm being very general on this, mm-hmm. but it's really true when you look across the board, which is why we don't really fight with anybody. Mm-hmm. Like if you notice, like the, the, like we, or we don't raise a big fuss about it necessarily. Um, we don't, we don't demand mm. to be heard. Like, mm-hmm. like we hear like millennials do. And, um, but so, so we're in that next generation. That's what I'm getting at. So we're into that. This, this all, I promise this all was coming back around to something maybe, but we're back into this, this time when there's a hunger for something more. Yeah. And it's cyclical. I mean, you can look in our, our world history mm-hmm. and see how it cycles around. Like the, the greatest generation pre, pre the, the builders, yeah. the pre boomers. Mm-hmm had to deal with they had to deal with building a world after the stock market crash and then world war ii yeah that was reset in many ways Mm -hmm. and then the boomers came along and took it and made it even better Mm -hmm. than us so now we're back to the post post 9-11 post covid world Mm -hmm. where a lot of ways these kids are going to have to rebuild the world Mm -hmm. and they're looking for for truth and and there's a spiritual hunger and they need good spiritual guides. Okay, that's why. Yeah. Going all the way around yeah. to say that I think the the biggest challenge for the church now is discipleship. Mm-hmm. It's not not just mentoring, mm-hmm. which I think that was the word we looked for. I think the the last buzzword over the last few years has been mentoring mm-hmm. and coaching. I think there's coaching involved, but discipleship because mm-hmm. disciples imply that we are becoming disciples of Jesus. Yeah. We're being formed by the spirit into disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But we need the, the 20 year olds in turn with the, with the energy mm-hmm. with the 80 year olds mm-hmm. experience and understanding. Yeah. And they'll help disciple one another. Yeah. It takes everybody. In it that. takes everybody. I think we're in this. So, so I don't think that we as older Christians and even Christian leader, church leaders like you and me, 
need to go to Asbury or go to FM 72 or mm-hmm. go to the, you know, do whatever to the, 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 he gets us campaign. It's, it's more, we need to, to recognize that we're on this journey. We're on this discipleship journey alongside them and mm-hmm. with them and put more emphasis on that than we do, you know, maybe that's just me talking about yeah. that. But. Well, I think maybe <clears throat> kind of a couple thoughts that maybe we'll kind of get yeah, the, a, the yeah. closing thought yeah. is I've heard several people make reference to this from Acts where Gamaliel says, let it be. Mm-hmm. If, if it's, it's not of God, God yeah. it's going to fail. Yeah. And it is of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. Exactly. So don't try and always feel like you've got to figure it out and you've got to right. be the judge on whether it's right or wrong or whatever, but right. let God do his thing. Um, what I have loved out of it is I've had multiple people in our church who have come up, who have said, man, it is awesome to see that. Yeah. I yeah. want to pray for God, not yeah. for God to repeat what he's doing there, yeah, but for God to do a work in a movement here as he is working and moving in these other places. Correct. And, you know, and you said about cyclical Asbury, this is not the first revival right. or awakening right. that's happened there. Just like, I know you've got excitement about FM 72 and what you sense again with what God is doing that really it comes out of a tradition at Baylor that yeah. there was a great youth revival that took place there and many things, a lot of things. Yeah. And, and the spread was not just in Waco, but yeah. there's people that went out from there and a lot of things that have happened. Yeah. You can trace back to there. So there is a sense that God is working and he's moving and he wants to do it again. And that again, it, it doesn't mean that on Sunday morning at First Baptist McGregor or at Community North Baptist Church that it's going to happen in the same way. Correct. But the same God and the same, you know, the same Holy Spirit that's working and moving wants to show up and do something in our lives. And I love that there's a hope and excitement and even a sense of maybe expectancy that I'm hearing yeah. pop up. Yeah. So you want to kind of just kind of yeah, reflect I got on two, that. Two things. Mm-hmm. And I think this, again, back to my critical nature. Um, one of them is is that we are a instant society. Mm-hmm. Instant results. We we like everything instant. My phone, I can send a message to my wife, mm-hmm. and I expect her to answer mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Um, I got we're a microwave society. Yeah. We like we like to throw things in the microwave and heat them up and then eat them. Mm-hmm. So I think people have to temper their expectations when it comes to how God answers and when God yeah. answers. But then, but then on the flip side of that too is is that we have to be fostering a, a community or community or an environment mm-hmm. to which that growth can happen. And it comes about you. You said a word about the with. You were talking about the the, the four. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I like to borrow Todd Stills' um, winsome witness. Yes. Yeah. From Dennis Wiles, happy preachers. Mm-hmm. You know, these are friends of ours and people we know really well. Happy preachers, winsome witness. Again, it goes back to the we we focus on the don't do's without focusing on the do's mm-hmm. or celebrating the things that are good. Yes. Versus um, constantly focusing on the negative. Yeah. And so those are those are ways to 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 re have realistic expectations about what the spirit can do, mm-hmm. but at the same time emphasize and celebrate. I hate that phrase, low hanging fruit, but that's the idea is celebrate the things that need to be celebrated. Yeah. In a way that is good. And I think we get, we as pastors, 
we come across as Pollyanna sometimes because we are sometimes having to be that way, but it's because that's all they hear outside this place. All they hear out there is all the bad, all the, oh, these kids are leaving the church and they're never coming back and all this. And this is a good example, as you just said, of, oh, there is some hopefulness. There is some optimism about this. Mm -hmm. And in the same God that can do that there, you know, I'm probably seeing that song. I've been listening to that song nonstop. You know, the same God never changes. He's yes. the same one that, that does this can do it here and can. He's looking for fertile soil. Yeah. And so it's going to take some work and it's going to take some buy-in, but it's going to take some, some, some willingness to allow the spirit. And that's mm-hmm. what Paul talks about a yeah. willing heart. You know, the spirit can produce this kind of fruit. Mm-hmm if you're living by the spirit, but if you're living by the flesh, you're going to get yeah. all the other things, the byproducts that, that are not of God and what God wants. So back to the parable of the sower, sowing seeds, what kind of soil are we going to be? Mm-hmm. What kind of soil are we going to be? Are you going to be a rocky soil? Are you going to be a thorny soil? Are you going to be a pat off the path? Or are you going to mm-hmm. be a soil where the, 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 the seed can take root and grow and sprout and transform and, Mm-hmm. and multiply yeah and individually and as our churches if we say okay god i don't know how you're going to show up and work but what i'm going to do is do everything i can to prepare the soil Correct. so when you're ready to do whatever it is as pastors we're that's, ready it's kind of our role yeah um, to to till soil and to prepare it yep Maybe. good deal well, I've loved our conversation today, um, yeah. and I know we could go on and on and on, although we're my, about to go eat lunch. I so. my stomach's growling, so <laughs> I'm getting um, hungry. And hopefully we'll get some chance to do this again in the future, no uh, near future. But uh, Terry, thank you again. Thank you for years of friendship, and I love just getting to bounce things off of you and yeah. phone calls we have. And again, whether we're texting about whether we're happy or upset with Baylor <laughs> sports or whatever it may be there too, but certainly on on these issues I, as well. I'm, so. I'm very cynical when it comes to Baylor sports. That's 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 my nature coming out, I think. Well, we've got a track record that is a little bit different than what it's been recently <laughs> that lends to that. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Especially yeah. football. It's like, whoo. Yeah. If it could go bad, it would. Yeah. But but again, thank you again for this time today. Um, and uh, so if somebody wanted to connect with you or with First Baptist McGregor, how could they do that? Oh, good. Um, uh, our website, fbcmcgregor.org um, is a good place. Our Facebook page. We use the Facebook more really than our website anymore. I think a lot of mm-hmm. churches are doing that more and more. Um, but Facebook uh, at First Baptist McGregor, you can find us on there. Um, and then, of course, we're right here in the middle, middle of McGregor, Texas. So, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Terry. Thanks, Kevin. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Community Chat Podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at communitynorthbc.org to find out more information about this podcast or our church. Thanks for listening.